Welcome to the CityDAO podcast. I'm your host, Eric Gilbert Williams. CityDAO is exploring decentralized asset ownership on chain, starting with a simple piece of land purchased in Wyoming during 2021. Each parcel of land becomes an NFT that can be owned collectively by the DAO or by individuals just like you and me. CityDAO is a DAO. In other words, it's a decentralized autonomous organization, meaning that land governance, treasury, and other things, including this show you're listening to right now, are all managed by the community. Check out the FAQ at citydow.io to learn more, or check out the CityDAO Discord channel to get all the latest updates. Now let's get started with the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the CityDAO podcast. Our guest here today, you could say, is somewhat of a neighbor of ours of sorts in dealing with land on chain. John is the caretaker of CabinDAO, which is a community living arrangement of sorts way out from the main city where internet friends get to meet and hang out in real life. Who doesn't want that, right? And today we're going to talk about a lot of different things about DAOs, including the pros and cons of in real life living versus online communities. You know, I lived in a co-living arrangement for about nine months in California a couple of years ago and fell in love with it. But John's going to tell us his perspective and more about what Cabin Dow is doing. We're also going to talk about what to expect in a community living arrangement and also how to manage DAOs with physical real day expenses on day one and much, much more. So lots to cover. Let's dive right in. John, how you doing, man? Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. You popped up a few times in CityDAO Discord, and I'm glad that we finally got to connect. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it takes more tries. I think this is our second or third try. And, and you know, we got it, man. So I'm, I'm super stoked about that. And I'm also stoked to hear more about CabinDAO. Before we go into the regular schedule and proper sequence of events, is it true that you have like a treasure chest buried somewhere that people have to go find? Is this a real thing? <laughs> yes, yes. The buried treasure chest is real. You can look at the contents at buriedtreasure.eth. You can also feel free to airdrop any tokens or NFTs into the treasure chest if you'd like. And if you check out our, our mirror post on it, you can buy a treasure hunter NFT, the proceeds of which go to the DAO and into the treasure chest itself, which will give you access to the first clue. The treasure chest is buried somewhere in the Texas Hill Country, and I buried it myself, stamped the private key inside the treasure chest onto a sheet of metal, and no one else in the world knows where it is. So let's back up for a second, just to make sure everyone understands this properly. If I understand correctly, and I might not, so tell me if I'm wrong, but the way that I understand it, you took a physical treasure chest that would have long-term durability if submerged and buried underground, and inside that chest, you put in the seed phrase of a wallet that some people have started putting different assets in. And that could be anything. We don't really know, I suppose. I guess, no, I guess we do know what's in there, isn't it? Because it's publicly available. So the wallet address is publicly available, but the passphrase is buried in this treasure trust. And then anyone can go and find it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's an actual physical wooden treasure chest. And it has a sheet of metal in it that I stamped a public and private key into wrapped it all in saran wrap and buried it in the Texas Hill Country. And yeah, it's a kind of fun experiment in how you can use a public ledger in this case to still have a secret buried treasure where anybody can add anything to it. Anybody can see what's inside of it, but you have to find the actual buried treasure in order to take ownership of the assets inside the treasure chest. And I've mentioned this to a couple of people. It's difficult for some people to swallow and comprehend and fully internalize the concept that what we're talking about right now is exactly as we're saying. There's a physical chest somewhere out there that you can go dig up and get a whole shit ton of crypto-related stuff. What's in there right now? Do you have a list off the top of your head, like roughly? 
approximately? Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people have just started airdropping things into it. And so as recently as this week, I saw a tweet from one of the top Medicis of the treasure chest, who is a former cabin resident and OG NFT person, goes by at one of the many mats. He has a chip embedded in his hand that you can scan for NFTs. And he also has a lot of fantastic NFTs, some of which he's been dropping into the treasure chest. And there's, I think at this point, maybe dozens of NFTs in there, as well as the treasure hunter NFTs have raised about 3.4 ETH, which some of that gets dropped into the treasure chest. And then people have also been putting random tokens in there as well. I think a lot of good shit coins in the treasure chest these days. Do you have like a net value approximation? Like, are we talking three digits, four digits, five digits, six digits value roughly? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the fun thing at this point is that people airdrop these things typically when the NFTs are new. And so buriedtreasure.eth is registered with ENS for 100 years. And so I think what'll be fun about this is that the vast majority of those NFTs and coins and stuff in there are not going to be worth anything, but there's a good chance that at least one of them ends up being quite valuable in the future. So just between you and I, where'd you put it? Yeah. Well, if you'd like to buy a uh, treasure hunter NFT and come out here to the Texas Hill Country, I'd be happy to give you your first clue. I just might. I just might. So tell me more about this. Now, Cabin Dow, when I check the website, and by the way, everyone listening, we're going to put this into the show notes of the episode here, the, the wallet address and the place you can find more about it and check out what's on it. We'll make sure that that's all included here in the show notes. Check it out at your leisure at podcast.citydow.io and all the notes there, including the link for everything that we talk about in the show about Cabin Dow. John's Twitter and all that kind of stuff too. The only thing that we're not going to include is the location of the treasure trust. Sorry guys, but that's for me to know and you to find out. Or maybe it's for me to never find out. And who knows, is someone going to find it? Like, let's be real here. Is it practical for someone to find it? Yeah. So several of the treasure hunters have not only come out and claimed their first clue, several people have claimed the second clue. And there's even sort of a cabal forming of a group of the treasure hunters that have teamed up into, I guess, a, a DAO, a proto DAO and they have a Telegram group where they're coordinating their clues. So I feel like sometime, definitely somebody is going to find this thing, but there's a reason why I bought the ENS domain for 100 years. I'd like for uh, this thing to be around for a while before it gets found. Okay, so when I go on the CabinDAO website, I see a couple different things. I saw one that looked like a cabin, one image that looked like a cabin, and one image that looked like some sea containers that were put together. And I might have been, maybe I'm at the wrong spot. I don't know. Tell me, how many locations do you have right now? So. We're just starting our third season, our spring season as a DAO. And the first season was all about our creator residency program, which was how we, we started out here at what we call Node Zero in the Texas Hill Country. Our second season was really about building out Node Zero and developing it into an embassy for DAOs where we host retreats, residencies, build weeks. So for instance, we have a group of cabin folks out here this week for a build week. We're working on a sauna. And then we just kicked off our third season. So this spring, we are going to be focused on node expansion. And so we've started adding additional nodes to the network. So here at Node Zero in the Texas Hill Country, this is our first neighborhood. And I'll actually just step outside for a second and show you where, where we're at here. So this is the cabin that you may have seen on the website that I live in. Spring is has just sprung here in the Hill Country. So we're getting some nice green trees. It's a beautiful day here. And then the shipping container cabin that you mentioned is just up the hill. That's where we started running the residency programs. We also have another node called Montanoso that's next door, another DAO member 
that has a house up on the hill that we also sometimes rent out for events like this one. So that's the three cabins we currently have. We have build weeks where folks are coming out here and building new stuff all the time. And then we're starting to add more nodes, as I mentioned. So for instance, there's an incredible group called Montaya Basecamp that's been running their own creator residency programs in the Eastern Sierras in California. And we're bringing them in as a, a cabin node. We've also been chatting with folks with other places in California, Colorado, Costa Rica, Portugal, and other sort of spots around the world that are potential future nodes that we'd love to bring into the network. And so just for clarification, when you say node, if I were to visualize what you mean, it sounds like you're adding new locations into the general DAO ecosystem for CabinDAO that people would essentially pick and choose where they're going to go. And there might be pros and cons or different perks at different spots. Is that right? And then you're just going to keep expanding more and more locations. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. So our goal is to build a decentralized city. And the way we think about a decentralized city is that it's not all in one place. So if you think about cities being built around the dominant technology of the era, for the past century, that was cars. We want to build cities around the dominant technology of, of this century, which is the internet and blockchains. And we think how that works is that people will be connected through this mesh network online and through the DAO, but then they will actually live in physical locations that are spread out all over the world. You can think of each of those as like a neighborhood in the city. So we have a neighborhood here in the Texas Hill Country, but there will also be neighborhoods of this city all over the world. Yeah. And, and that subject of a network city is connected with why I said the word a close neighbor to ours here at CityDAO. And it's because this concept, this word, this network city evolution, you could say, is very new. And it's a new word that's circulating more and more, and we hear it more and more. And the definition is not known by a lot of people quite yet. And every time I talk about the concept of network city, I usually end up learning a little bit more myself. And so by network city, and maybe, maybe you can add to my definition here as I explain it to anyone that's listening. When we're talking about the concept of a network city, we're talking about people that are united by something beyond a physical boundary of a geographical location. And the best example I can think of is when, how many years ago I, I sold, I'm not telling you that I'm dating myself, I sold my last company and my car and all that stuff, my belongings, and I went, and I went full digital nomad. And so there's a point where I'm sitting there in Japan and Thailand and Greece, right? And I got my physical citizenship is in Canada, but I'm not physically there. I'm holding a Delaware C Corp in the United States, but I'm not a citizen of the United States. I'm hiring people in India and Philippines and all over the place, but I don't live there and I don't pay any taxes over there either. And then of course, I'm in Japan and Thailand. I don't pay any taxes there either. I'm paying taxes in the one country that I don't do any business in. <laughs> and so it raises in my mind, okay, well, where do I actually live? And the answer is very vague. And then the question of, well, where am I actually a citizen of? And then there's different answers that come up. But then the question is, well, what is a citizenship? Is it just a piece of paper that says that I'm from some geographical place? Is it like a 300-foot anchor at the bottom of a ship that just floats around on the ocean? Like, what is a citizenship? And until we get clear on that, it's hard to explain and quantify what a city is. Because the concept of a city and geographical boundaries for it came to life hundreds of years ago, way before we had the internet. The concept of jumping on a plane and going to some other foreign country that doesn't speak your language and surviving, never mind getting there, but surviving, was foreign. It was not really something that was possible at all when the word city evolved in our English language to be common tongue practice. And now we have this inherited definition of an old school word that has an old school definition that no longer applies today. And so 
it's healthy for everyone listening, in my opinion, and for all of us to question, what is a city? And it doesn't mean throw it all in the garbage and start from scratch. It just means that this is a very new world. And the concept of a city is very different. Now, the word city is anchored in our dictionaries and might not ever change. But if we create a new word, maybe network city, now we have a new word and a new concept that we can start redefining that represents more what we're actually doing here today. And so that's my understanding. It's an evolving progress here of what a network city is. And I'd love it if you uh, have any comments to add into that, or maybe disagree on a couple of things I said. I'm curious your thoughts. No, I think that's right. You framed it well. The world has changed pretty substantially and cities change with the world. Cities, like I mentioned, are built around the dominant technology of the era. I just pulled out my wallet here. I want to show you my cabin passport. So this is a chip embedded card that has a public private key pair in it. And this passport can hold all sorts of NFTs that represent visas or other designations within the network that maybe give you different kinds of access to different places. And I completely agree with you. We have all these new tools to now print our own money and our own passports. And we're not trying to do some grand libertarian exit from society. But what we are trying to do is LARP as this new type of city and start to explore what it looks like to be digitally nomadic in a way that allows you to travel around to different places and feel at home wherever you go. Because now we're talking about being a part of Cavendale, let's say, and that gives you certain access and there's certain responsibilities and there's certain limitations and there's certain accountabilities depending on what you want to do. And this is in a form becoming its own city. And you're having a Cavendale city network of sorts here where citizens are able to access in and out freely, whereas other people aren't. And it doesn't matter where you're geographically located. It doesn't matter if you're in Texas right now. You don't have access to Cavendale unless you're a citizen, so to say. Do you call it citizens over there or do you have a different word for it? We've been a little bit careful about using the word citizen. I know that uh, CityDAO has used that word for its NFTs. We've been handing out these passports to folks who come on site for programs here at the cabins. But we want to be really careful with the term citizen because we think it conveys a lot of responsibility. And we think that we believe in a slow and intentional development of our governance structures and norms. And so I think the place where that starts for us is by enabling people to walk around with something that can hold NFTs that represent their membership within the community. But ultimately, that membership will look different in each place you go. We don't imagine that just because you have a cabin passport means that you'll be able to walk into any door in the city in the same way that just because you're a resident of a city doesn't mean you can go in someone's private home. What we think will happen is that there will be these autonomous, locally owned, operated, and governed places that then are interested in being a part of the network. And they may sort of have very different roles in the network. It could be in the same way that a city has skyscrapers and empty lots. We expect that we'll have some very developed places like Neighborhood Zero here in the Hill Country and other places that might just be a plot of land that is looking to pull together a group of people from online to go out and start building on it. And so we see the role of access within the community to be maybe a little bit more composable at the local level versus this idea of a global citizen. So if you don't use the word citizen, what do you use? Right now, community member. Just generic and safe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that we're opposed to the idea of citizens in the future. I think we just want to be really 
confident that we have the right governance structures in place to enable people to actually be citizens if we're going to call them that. So let's talk about that. That's a great segue into what your governance structure perhaps looks like right now. So a couple rapid fire questions. How many people are in the DAO right now? How many new members come in or leave, let's say on like a monthly basis? What's sort of the growth anticipation, let's say over the next 12 months? And then let's dive into like, how are you governing and how does that look if I was a member today? Cool. So I'm pulling up our Discord server insights right now, which I look at pretty frequently. So we have just about 3,000 total people in the Discord, and we have a little over 300 token holders currently, and anyone can earn their way into the DAO via bounties or buy tokens on an open exchange. And like any Discord server and like any online community, there's a, a smaller group of people who, who are sort of actively engaged each week than the total number of the Discord. And we typically have about 100 to 150 new people joining each week. And we try to be really intentional about helping those people go through an immigration process where we can help make sure that as they're coming in, they understand the norms of the community, they understand how to navigate around, and they're really set up for success for joining one of our guilds. And so when you say 3,000 people on Discord, you're counting one-to-one -one Discord people to members of CabinDAO. Is that right? So I would say that any DAO is a highly permeable structure with different ways that you can classify membership. So probably the broadest version of that is something like the people joining our Discord server or following us on Twitter. Those are certainly members of our community in some sense. But like I mentioned, there's a much smaller pool of token holders. So a little over 300 token holders who actually do the governance of the DAO, and I would call true like members of the DAO. And then even within that, there's a smaller group of people who are really actively participating, who are voting on every proposal, who are engaged in guilds, who are stepping up into leadership roles within the organization. So we don't necessarily view it as binary of like you're in or you're out. We think that there's this permeable spectrum of engagement within the DAO. And we accept the fact that like any internet community, it's probably going to follow the 1990 rule where 90% of people are lurking, 9% are engaging, and 1% are really producing most of the effort of the community. And so is there a, a minimum token quantity that you need in order to be a voting member? And what technology are you using for the voting? So we're currently multi-sig and snapshot DAO, like many social DAOs, and any number of tokens can be used for voting. We use quadratic weighted voting, token voting. So that helps make sure that even if you only have one cabin, you, you still can have some impact on governance. And if you have a whole lot of tokens, then that impact is discounted relative to the number of tokens that you're voting with. So that's our current structure but we're not tied to it. I think, like I mentioned, we are very interested in both progressively decentralizing and in evolving our governance structures over time in ways that suit the community. And so as better solutions and tools come to exist for on-chain voting or for other voting structures like staking for voting, those are things that we're open to exploring. So when I moved out to California, I went to this, I had this cool thing. I was at my buddy's condo in Thailand and, and I said, I wanted to go to California and do something in tech. And he's like, man, if you're going to go to California and do something tech, you got to live in a hacker house. I'm like, what's that? He's like, well, you got to find out. So I Googled hacker house, found a couple hits, applied the one, got accepted, jumped on a plane, went out and lived there for nine months. It was called Rainbow Mansion. It was 
absolutely phenomenal. Everyone that lived there worked for like NASA or Google or Tesla or doing amazing stuff. And when I arrived, it's 13 people sharing a place. And that's a lot of people for one kitchen. And everyone comes from a different background. And there's cleaning routines and cooking routines and event routines and, and courtesy requirements and house meetings and all this kind of stuff. And living in a community like that, for me, coming from, you know, I was in Calgary for a very long time. So oil and gas, traditional nine to five, own a big house, have a big backyard type of environment. In many people's eyes from Calgary, that was a huge step backwards. But for me, first of all, I opened my eyes and it was a huge step forwards into how other areas in the world function and what are the merits and benefits. I grew so much as a result of living in a co-living environment. What would I expect if I said, hey, you know, John, I'd like to come out and hang out at Cabindale for a bit. I got some cabin tokens. How do I get over there? Where do I sleep? What's the routines? What's the onboarding? What does that look like? Yeah. So we have a wide range of ways that we're exploring what it looks like to live in a community like this. So we believe that we need to basically try lots of combinations of numbers of people and lengths of time and ways that they're spending that time to design what these co-living communities should look like. So at Neighborhood Zero here in the Hill Country, we run three primary types of programs that you can participate in. The first one is retreats, where you as a DAO are bringing out your team and getting together IRL and you know maybe doing deep strategic planning or something like that. Cabin does one of these the beginning and end of, of each season. So we just had one last week in Big Sur. And we think that that's a really incredible way for a group to come together and make progress at the speed of IRL, which you, you can't do as easily online. The second type of program that we do is operator residencies and creator residencies. So we've run one-week versions of these. We've run month-long versions of these where we're bringing together a range of different people from across the internet who have some shared interest, in this case, operating DAOs, for instance, to meet each other IRL, to build deep relationships, to go through this program together, and to learn a lot in the process. And then we have a third type of program, which is Build Weeks. So that's what's happening out here at Neighborhood Zero this week is a build week. And the way that works is members of Cabin come out and basically participate in building a thing together on site. All three of these are essentially co-living situations where we have a couple cabins and you typically have your own private bedroom. The co-living house that we, we built up the hill here, the shipping container one, has four independent bedroom suites, which have you know sort of your own private space with a queen bed, a built-in desk, your own bathroom, and then a big open co-living area in the middle with a kitchen and a living room and a dining room and stuff. So we, we think that's a pretty optimal structure for co-living where you kind of have your own private space, but you also have big open shared spaces. And we want to explore other options as well. We're trying out something this summer at Montaya where we're going to do a month-long opportunity for members of the cabin community to come co-live together out there. They have a bigger space with, with more bedrooms and that'll be a new experiment for us. Ultimately though, what we think is that each co-living community is different and each neighborhood and cabin is going to be different. So we're very blessed to have someone on our core team named Phil Levin, who has built a lot of successful co-living communities, including in the Bay Area. So there's another one in the Bay Area called RGB that Phil and his wife, Kristen, helped build. They now live in another one in Oakland called Radish. And I think what we've learned from Phil and his experience with co-living is that each one of these communities is unique. and you sort of need to tailor the structure of the culture to the wants and needs of the local community. 
Interesting. Yeah. And now let's go way back for a second. Why are you doing this? Like, why does Cabin Dow exist? What was that story? Let's talk about your origin story here for a second. Sure. So I was working at Instacart, building software for shoppers, the Instacart shoppers, the gig workers who shop and deliver groceries. And I learned a lot in that process, particularly about the ways in which declining transaction costs of software were going to change the nature of the firm. And I was thinking about how that had applied to gig workers and the ways that that played out that were not exactly how I wanted them to play out. And I had gotten a little bit burnt out doing that. I ended up taking some advice from my boss at the time to go take a vacation and sit on a beach on a little tiny island off the coast of Thailand and think about what I wanted to do with my life. Which is a good idea for everyone at some point. We should yes, all just go absolutely. on a tiny island off Thailand and think about what we want to do with our lives. Yes. Yeah. If you're you setting up a ca- Cabin Dow node, is there a node going to be yeah. popping up for Cabin Dow on a little tiny island in, in Thailand that I can go visit I, like soon? Yes. I certainly hope so. And maybe we can even run like uh, designing your life workshops out of it. Yeah. I think that's like a box everyone needs to check on their uh, digital nomad bingo card. I think it's requirement. It's mandatory requirement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Anyway, I did that, decided I wanted to leave and go build a cabin in the woods. And also that I was really interested in understanding more about this emerging new thing that people were just starting to call the creator economy and how these changes in declining costs of software transactions was going to change the nature of the firm, not only for gig work, but for knowledge work. Ended up getting together with a group of people that we called the Creator Co-op, which is a group of independent online workers. Went and built the cabin, invited the co-op out to the cabin about a year ago and sitting around the campfire late one night, we decided to start this residency program for other online creators to come out to the cabin. We ended up doing that as a mirror crowdfund. We gave people tokens in order to vote on the creators that were going to come out to the cabin. And then more people started showing up in the Discord. We started running the residencies and months later, we realized, oh, wow, this thing is a DAO. (laughs) And there's all these amazing creators showing up in this community. Let's see where we can take it next and how we can start to build towards the shared vision we had of a decentralized city. And just to recap, I forget how many nodes actually exist right now today. And also how many would you anticipate there to be in the next 12 months? Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, we're just starting out our node expansion process as part of this new spring season that we uh, just kicked off this week. So here at Neighborhood Zero, we have the three cabins, which are actually three independent entities. We have just started onboarding Montaya Basecamp as our next neighborhood in the Sierras. And then the goal for the rest of the season is to onboard a handful of nodes. Actually, I just had a call right before this with our new nodes working group about getting the first handful of those nodes set up this week. I think it's going to be the sort of thing where it happens slowly at first and then all of a sudden very fast. I think what we're interested in, though, is not having the greatest possible number of nodes out of the gate or the biggest possible community out of the gate. What we're interested in is making a really strong sauce in our communities and making sure that as we onboard new neighborhoods to cabin, we're doing it in an intentional way that allows that neighborhood to grow in the way they want to grow and to build a really strong community around the place that they're in. And so while we expect that, I would say 12 months from now, I would expect there will be many nodes all over the world. And and there's a long list that the new nodes working group has in their backlog. We would rather have a smaller number of really 
dense, high quality communities than a whole bunch of them. One thing that I found when I was telling my friends that I was going to live in this co-living arrangement is that they equated the concept of living with a group of people to being in college, to not having progressed in the physical world in terms of the stereotypical buy a house, get a dog, get a cat, get both or whatever, and get a big pool, whatever it is, get a nice car. It felt at first glance to them like a step backwards. And frankly speaking, I got to say to me too, it felt that way too, before I actually went and tried it. Why would you ever want to give up your privacy? Why would you ever want to live with a group of people and be susceptible to whatever happens in that community? A whole bunch of whys. And the way I phrase it now is living in a co-living environment does give up some privacies. Clearly, obviously, there's no way around that. And it's a question of trade-off. What do I get in exchange for giving up those privacies? And what I got in exchange was a powerful community of people who really cared that I got to collaborate with, live with, share with, grow with, cry with, laugh with, that it's a life experience for me that I don't know that I would have ever gotten anywhere else. You don't get that in college because we're all a bunch of young dummies. You know what I mean? (laughs) When we're living in a co-living environment on purpose, intentionally, conscientiously, as builders, as sharing passions, volitionally, not because we have to or some college debt or university loan or whatever it happens to be. It's a very different experience. And when I gave up my privacies, my certain amount of privacies when living in the co-living, what I got in return was a multiple factor stronger than what I gave up. And I'm curious in your own words, if you can describe what are you giving up when you go to a co-living and what are you gaining? Yeah, I think the college analogy is an interesting one. I don't know about you, but I loved college and, and in particular loved the relationships that I built there. And I think a lot of that is due to the type of living environment that you're in. So if I could go back to college, as you said, not being the dummy I was then, but having maybe more of the experience and, and knowledge that I do now, I'd want to do that in a heartbeat. So there is a lot to gain there. In terms of what you give up, I think you're absolutely right that there is a privacy trade-off. I think though, what we're going to see is a different type of co-living that emerges for people at different life stages. And so when people think of co-living, they do tend to think of this like college dorm style experience where you have 20 people crammed in like some little apartment in San Francisco. Beer cans lying all over the place and dirty laundry. (laughs) Yeah. If you're in your 20s, that may be like exactly what you're looking for. I am no longer in that phase of life. So I'm looking for a different type of co-living environment. I think when I think about why the communes of the 70s didn't pan out, a lot of it was probably due to the fact that people had this misunderstanding that you had to share everything and everything had to be totally open and shared and equal and all this. I think what we see with successful co-living communities, like Radish, the one I mentioned that Phil and Kristen started in Oakland, it's mostly actually young families or couples who are a little bit older. They have more of their own private space. They also, of course, have shared space. But I think what we'll see more of is that type of environment where you have your own space that is, is sort of your private home or, or room or whatever, but then you also have shared public spaces that everybody uses together. I think that balance is really nice for getting the best of both worlds. How about land governance? Is there any asset ownership in the Dow governance right now? Are there physical assets that are being managed other than the treasury, I mean to say? Land on chain, for example? Maybe you can tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So going back to the discussion earlier around local autonomous ownership and governance, we see the Dow as being 
a mesh network for these locally owned and operated neighborhoods. And so our perspective here has evolved a little bit differently than city DAOs. And it's not that one is right and one is wrong, but I think they're both important. We're taking the approach that the DAO does not and probably will not own physical land itself, both because that's complicated, as, as you know, you all well know, from a regulatory perspective and from a legal perspective, but also just because we believe that that local autonomous ownership is an important part of it. And what the DAO can really provide is the connections between these neighborhoods and the flow of information and people and resources between them. So that's how we're evolving. That said, I'm also very excited about the city DAO approach of actually trying to own and operate land on chain, because I think that's an important boundary for all of us to keep pushing. And I think that increasingly what we'll see within Cabin and the Cabin network is that these individual nodes will be on-chain entities that own and operate the land of their neighborhood. What has been your number one biggest challenge in doing this so far? <laughs> can't think about it. Yeah, can't select. You know exactly what it is too. I know. I, you know, I don't know what it is, but I know you do. <laughs> I'm going to give you a kind of ridiculous one, which is leveling things. Leveling things. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Elaborate. Yeah. So as we've started building things on site, what I'm always surprised by is that one of the hardest things about physical building is just getting the ground level. And I think it's actually a good metaphor for how we think about building communities that you really want to invest the time up front and making sure that the foundation is really flat before you try to build on top of it. And I think that's true of our community, but it's also literally true. I spent the better part of a week almost exactly a year ago when we were first putting the shipping container cabins down, making sure that the foundation that we were placing them on was perfectly level. And it never ceases to amaze me how challenging various components of physical building are, and in particular that one. And I don't mean to jinx it. I'm just curious now, how is leveling coming along with your sauna build, your community sauna build? You don't want all the water spilling off one side, right? You don't want to wake up in your bed and roll off the side. You don't want the water to pour out of the sauna either. Yeah. So we have an amazing architect named Kat who is leading this build week. And literally, I was just up with her this morning, walking around the site, deciding exactly where we wanted to put the sauna. And we ended up renting a, a skid steer this morning to make sure we can get it perfectly level. So it is top of mind for me right now. So your biggest challenge had nothing to do with technology or trolls or digital management. You skipped all through that compared to just physically having a level living environment. I guess you can't undo that. You can't fix a crooked building other than redoing and removing it. That's exactly right. The builder that we partnered with when we designed the shipping container cabin had a very similar saying, which was that the hardest part about construction is there's no copy paste and there's no undo. <laughs> and so I tend to think that all these things we're doing with Web3 and crypto, that stuff is challenging. It's important for us to keep pushing the boundaries on and exploring, but ultimately the most important thing we can do is just bring together humans, <laughs> create actual communities. And I think the most important version of that we can do is IRL. And so, yes, while everything else, of course, is challenging as well, and, and I say leveling a little bit in jest, I also really do mean it. I think some of the most important contributions we can make are setting aside everything about the underlying technology of blockchain for a second, and just thinking about how do we actually bring humans together. Some people maybe relate more or less to that, but I mean, I used to have a construction company with about 60 people in it and middle managers, and we did a lot of work, hundreds and hundreds of projects annually. And you're speaking my language here. When we have one mistake in that construction, 
Sometimes we get lucky and it's fixable, but other times that's a $100,000 mistake. And it could have happened in one single day. There really just is no way to quickly go and fix what was just constructed without incurring massive expenses versus that's right. missing a comma on a web page push. And maybe, maybe the whole website's down. Sure, maybe it's a disaster, but you fix the comma and it's fine. You don't get that option in real life construction. Yeah, I think this is an important point about there's some folks who have been talking about the ways in which innovation is stalling. There's a great Patrick Collison webpage where he shows the ways in which physical construction has gotten much slower and less efficient over time. The Golden Gate Bridge and the Eiffel Tower, all these things were built incredibly quickly. We were building ships in days during World War II. And now we seemingly can't really build anything very fast anymore or very well. And so definitely a part of what I get really excited about, and I know members of our community, particularly like those that show up for build weeks this week, get excited about is actually getting back to the brass tacks of just building real things in the real world. And I think anybody can learn how to do that and have a good time with it. And if we're serious about having a city, of course, we need knowledge workers, software engineers, writers, big thinkers, but we also need electricians and plumbers. And I can tell you, I'm out there every day fixing some pipe or building a new fence or doing something to help contribute to the physical infrastructure, because I believe that that's how great cities are built. What do you think about the concept of network cities becoming a common word? Like it's becoming more common in the digital worlds, specifically in DAO worlds. But what about everyday politics or everyday people out there that don't plug themselves into Web3? Do you think it's going to be like a decade-long process for the general public to start embracing the concept of a network city? Or do you think it's maybe like a two-year process and we're at a tipping point? A little bit of both. So I think that if you want to look at how quickly something will change, it's often helpful to look at how long the thing has already been around. And in this case, we're talking about some very fundamental primitives of human civilization, things like cities and states. And these things have been around a long time. So I think we have to approach it with the humility, one, of really understanding the history of what's come before and what worked and what didn't work, and also understanding that this is going to be a long transition. What I get excited about with Cabin is that this is a lifelong project that I get to be a part of. And this is something that may take centuries to reach its full fruition. And I know I won't be around then, but it's fun to be a part of something where you get to think on those sort of time horizons. And I think that cities are definitely of that class of thing that literally Rome was not built in a day and, and neither will Cabin be. What would you say has been your biggest lessons so far in doing Cabin Dow? And that could be in running a Dow as a concept, or it could be the technology behind it. I mean, we talked about construction already. Maybe it's about philosophy or the politics or the marketing. But what would you say are the biggest lessons you've learned so far in being a DAO founder, for lack of a better word? So many lessons. It's really hard to boil it down to just one or two. The lesson was that there was so many lessons. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Other than the difficulties of building physical things, I think another one I would highlight is just the importance of focusing on the people and the intrinsic motivations of those people, the relationships between those people. And also the memetics of those people, how those people create lore, how those people create memes together. There's this great meme that people use on Twitter that's like the X is like the friends we made along the way. And that's really how I feel about Cabin so far is that setting aside all of the very exciting philosophical grand ideas about creating new cities, 
at the end of the day, it's really about the relationships. And I think DAOs in particular may lose track of that by getting too deep in the weeds of these exciting new coordination technologies that we're working with, which are certainly incredibly important. But at the end of the day, what we're doing is coordinating humans to work together. And I think the most important thing we can do is make friends along the way. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to make a friend with you, John. And I think it's fair to say that CityDAO sees CabinDAO as a friend as well. Two things here as we wrap up. One, best place for people to find out more information about CabinDAO. I'd imagine is your website and your Discord, but maybe you can just confirm that. Yeah, absolutely. So the website is creatorcabins.com. Same on Twitter at creatorcabins. You'll also find in both of those places a link to our Discord where you can hop in and come through our onboarding process, join a guild and get plugged in. Awesome. And what could CityDAO do? Like, how can we ensure that we're discussing and have good communication between us? So what can CityDAO do to to help you out? And yeah, how can we ensure that we stay in touch? Yeah, I would love to find ways for us to work more closely together. I have a tremendous amount of respect for everything you all are working on and building. I think I'm going to have the chance to meet a couple of the CityDAO folks in a few weeks at a DAO camp event that we're hosting out here in the Hill Country. And at the end of the day, I think the most important opportunity here is to collaborate, is to realize that we all have this same shared vision and we're all taking slightly different approaches to it. And so our approach to building a decentralized city looks pretty different right now than CityDAO's approach. And that's really important that we have a diversity of approaches in the ecosystem so we can all learn from each other. And I know in a year or two, we're going to be very excited to lean on a lot of the learnings you all have had around tokenized real estate. And I'd imagine you all will be excited as you start building physical stuff on site about some of our learnings around construction and co-living and community building. So yeah, I certainly see it as a collaborative approach. And I'm really excited to hear from anyone in the CityDAO community that's also interested in hanging out and talking with us over at Cabin. Well, I think if I remember correctly, we might even have a couple CityDAO citizens coming out to help with the sauna build. So I, I think that- Oh, amazing. Might- I forget right now. I'm 90% on that one. I'm 10% unsure, but 90% sure we'll have some CityDAO people, at least one anyways, saying hi to you in the next little bit with the sauna. So I guess Fantastic. if it ends up crooked, it's, it's one-tenth our, our fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll be great. And yeah, I'm sure this is the first of many opportunities we'll have to have collabs between Gavin and City. Right on. Well, I'm glad to have you in our network. And anyone that's listening, remember to check out the show notes to this episode. Every link and URL that we referenced in this discussion will be listed there for you to just click find, click and research more about. If you want to check out CabinDAO, you now know how to do that. If you want to check out more with CityDAO, make sure to check out our Discord. That's where the conversations happen. That's where you can get your voice heard. That's where you can suggest ideas, get more involved, lead a project, take a bounty, start a guild, whatever it happens to be. Join our Discord. Say hi to me. I'm MemeBrains on Twitter. I'm also MemeBrains on the Discord. So you can ping me there, DM, group chat, whatever it is. We have a podcast channel. If you have good guests that you want to suggest for the show, all that kind of stuff. Look forward to seeing you on the Discord and on Twitter. And John, let us know how that sauna goes. Maybe we can do a little CityDAO sauna party at some point. Sounds amazing. Looking forward to it. Right on, right on. Well, keep well out there and good luck with the construction. Everyone listening, make it a great week. We will see you next time. Bye-bye.